Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Hi everyone and welcome to our second special episode of Inside Sponsorship, which focuses on Rugby Union and as per the first special episode, the topic our guests are discussing is the sponsorship pathway Are You Sponsorship Ready?, which is a panel discussion at the World Rugby Conference and Exhibition in London later this month. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and we've produced this special episode to help supplement the panel discussion at the conference, and as such, just like the first episode, we've invited two great guests onto the show for you. So in this episode, we sit down and chat with Sophie Morris, Strategic Marketing and Sponsorship Director at Mill Harbour Marketing and Consultancy, as well as Craig Maxwell, Head of Sales and Marketing at Welsh Rugby Union Group. Now, Craig joined the WRU in 2005 as part of the hospitality team, and between 2004 and 2008, Craig moved through the commercial team to become Group Sponsorship Manager. And in 2008, he left the WRU to head up UK and Ireland for Under Armour, but he was enticed back to the WRU in 2010 as the new Head of Group Sales and Marketing. Here's Craig. Craig Maxwell, welcome to the show. Thank you. How long have you been the head of commercial and marketing at Welsh Rugby Union? So I, I actually started at the Welsh Rugby Union back in uh, start of 2005. Um, I, came, I actually came in on um, work experience uh, at the time and um, was working in the hospitality department. I managed to find myself in the right place at the right time and, and work up to being head of partnerships then for the WRU by the end of 2009. Um, I was very lucky then. I was, I was heavily involved in the first Under Armour deal that we did, bringing them one of their first sponsorships into the UK, well, into Europe, actually. Um, and then I actually went and worked for Under Armour for two years, uh, looking after sports marketing for UK and Ireland. And then the commercial director here at the time um, moved on, and the chief exec, Roger Lewis, had asked me to come back in two, at the end of 2010 um, into this role I'm currently in now. Now, we know that most weeks aren't carbon copies. They're not the same week in, week out. But how would you say you generally structure your week and what do you focus on regularly, including maybe any processes or standing meetings that you use to ensure that you stay on top of what I imagine is a very, very busy job? So we we obviously have you know, very high targets to achieve. Um, we've been very lucky with increasing turnover in, the, in recent years. So... We've really had a culture in the last three to four years of making sure that from a budgetary perspective, we're staying on top of all targets. Um, I have five key managers, uh, head of marketing, head of retail licensing um, and tours, head of ticketing, and then got a GM of our catering company, um, and then a head of partnerships. So a typical week will be a Monday morning, uh, 8.45, we all get together, talk through really the next two weeks, and that's a meeting that takes two to three hours where everybody brings all of their key issues and key events and and key areas to the meeting and we share and discuss. Off the back of that then, we go into one-to-ones with the the rest of the team just to make sure everybody's on track and and we do that weekly. Outside of of that meeting on a weekly basis, um, it's pretty fluid um, on that side, but just skipping from all the different areas that we have to address and obviously... You know, quite heavily involved in the community side of the game and we own and control the Prince Harvey Stadium as well. So you jump from talking about an issue with a local community club to talking as we have today you know, about putting Robbie Williams on sale for a concert next year. 
So it's very diverse, and you know that's a great part of the job. Really, is that no day is ever the same. Um, it's very challenging in the different areas that we have to look at and, and tackle, but it's it's certainly very rewarding in that sense. So outside of that, then we have the executive board, um, which is the executive of the Welsh Rugby Union, who are given the the powers from the main WRU board to run the organisation. So we meet monthly as an executive, and, and that's everybody from head of finance, head of legal, chief executive, um, myself, head of digital, um, compliance, head of rugby, and head of elite rugby. Uh, and we meet from a strategic perspective, and, and all we do in that meeting is talk about the strategy. We make sure that monthly we are on board with the strategy that's been put in place for Ross Rugby. Are we on track? Are we off track? And then that's used then to report to the board then on a monthly perspective. So those three meetings, so team meeting weekly, executive strategy meeting, and then main WRU board meeting are the three real pillars of, of the structure of how we, how we run the organisation and, and make sure that we're staying aligned to the strategy and everything we do is aligned to the strategy. Looking specifically at that partnership program for Welsh Rugby, what would you say are the core sponsor objectives that you feel the organisation is well-placed to help a sponsor achieve, generally speaking? So we're very lucky in BBC Network put us really at the heart of the, of the, of the rugby uh, programming. So we are on network for all of our games, um, including uh, Autumn Internationals and Six Nations. So from a, a coverage perspective, we offer a, a huge platform with a lot of other rugby properties going to, to pay-per-view at the moment. Um, we are one of the few ones left that really can you know, offer a very strong free-to-air network. That is a big attraction for a lot of our partners. Uh, the fact that you know, Wales as a, as a nation is completely engaged is the fabric of our country in rugby. Um, we see a great high of engagement levels, you know, from, from cradle to grave, really, in terms of the demographic. There's no specific area. We have a very broad demographic that's attracted to and engaged with the game. And also our community elements, because our clubs really are the hubs of the communities within Wales. So if you take in Tembe, where I am from, a, a, local, a local town in, in West Wales, the rugby club really still is at the heart of that community and doesn't just offer services for, for rugby, but offers services for the community. So when you take the, the mass coverage that we can offer through our, our TV platform, um, we were looking at in terms of the engagement of supporters being national sport and the importance of rugby in Wales and the network of our clubs. We offer a, a very, very strong and broad programme to partners. Looking at maybe the five or so biggest partners that you have, it'd be great if you could sort of give us a lay of the land and let us know how long you've been working with them and maybe what's great about the relationship with them. Sure, I think well, if I start with Under Armour, really, the first one, and you know, when they partnered with us, we were with Reebok for 12 years before that, and we do pride ourselves on, you know, our mantra is over-promise and over-deliver. Um, you know, as a smaller country, we have to make sure that we do that, um, and we can really over-deliver for partners and show true value. So we pride ourselves on long-term relationships. Um, Under Armour is a, a great example of that, and Principality, which I'll, I'll talk about in, in a second as well. So Under Armour came on board around 2007. They were just coming into the market at that time. Um, it, it was a bit of a leap of faith from us because they were pretty unheard of in the European market. And we spent a lot of time looking at what they were doing in the US and understanding that they really were a challenger brand that needed to find a good partner to work with them to help build their brand across, across the UK, Europe and, and internationally. Um, we were lucky enough to, to be one of those partners. And where they really have looked um, to use us is to tell the story around their performance 
uh, of the kit and the, the manufacturing and the technical specifications. And the team has been really involved in developing the kits that you see on the field today. And we've also spent a fair bit of time within Baltimore talking to them as well about the technical specifications around rugby and sports kits generally. So that's a great partnership for us. We've just re-signed that out until 2025, um, a, a new nine-year long-term relationship. And really, the, the partnership is built around um, brand awareness. They, Under Armour, still want to increase the brand awareness that they have within the UK, within the European market. So they've also bought the Autumn International title sponsorship from us. And they're using that as a key way, really, to, to tell a different story about um, their relationship with Welsh Rugby. Whilst the previous deal was talked very much about the kit and the team, the series will allow them to activate a lot more and to really enhance their brand um, programme, but also to offer a greater level of engagement to supporters. What would you say are the benefits or the inventory in your commercial programme that, that make up the bulk of what you have to offer sponsors? So we have three pillars to all of our relationships that we've, we've brought in. and We're actually just about to try a, a new structure. One thing I found when I was with Under Armour and from talking to a lot of the brands that we've been, we've been talking to recently is that a lot of sports governing bodies are using a very similar or, or identical model to sell sponsorship. And it's historically, as you know, you'll be very aware, it's been very much around brand awareness and, um, you know, we, with the input of digital coming through and the increased social media aspects, there'd be more presence on that and data. And we're working very hard to deliver better areas on that. But we have three key pillars, brand awareness, staff customer engagement and community rugby. And how we work our partnerships is that every partner has different rights under those three pillars. They tell us their KPIs, what they're looking to achieve. And then we lay the rights within those areas to make sure that they have the correct assets and tools to deliver against those KPIs. The quite innovative um, idea that we've come up with, though, to change it is because we're having long-term partnerships in place, such as Under Armour, nine years. Admin would have been with us for, for nearly, well, nearly seven years. Um, Principality have just signed up for 10 years. What you sign up to in terms of the rights, you know, five minutes LED, program adverts, 50 tickets in year one, um, probably doesn't work for the brand in year three because they have different needs, they have different strategies that they need to adjust to. So we've actually moved to a flexible rights partnership or are trying to move to a flexible rights partnership with our partners going forward where they contract to, uh, 60% of the rights of core and uh, are guaranteed across brand awareness, customer staff engagement and community rugby. The remaining 40% of the rights vary year on year. So each of the account managers and each partner that works with us has a dedicated account manager will sit with the brand going into the next season, refine and understand their KPIs and their strategies and their priorities for relationship with us. And then we will tailor the rights in that season to benefit their KPIs. And an example of that might be Under Armour in year one. It's been about brand awareness. So we've put a lot of rights into the first pillar, brand awareness. Year two it might be that they want to have a direct marketing campaign to sell a new product launch. Therefore, they need more tickets to have call to actions and activation in retail. So we'll take out some of the LED and brand awareness and we'll put in more tickets. And it's all worked off a menu of value. So the partner knows how much value they have and they then have a menu of rights and they select and change it. It's quite tricky. Um, we're still in the middle of trialing it, but we really want to make sure that we, we don't become a redundant asset for partners. Partners have to have the flexibility to adapt their relationships with their 
with governing bodies and their sponsorships to their strategies and their strategies and the demands and the issues that they have within their businesses change monthly and yearly. So we have to be adaptable as well. So that's a, a real key area. And then underneath that, we layer a quarterly business review meeting where our chief exec will go and meet um, each of our partners just to make sure everything's okay. They're happy with everything and make sure that they can have time with the chief exec to understand and chief exec understands their strategies and make sure that we're supporting them across the whole business side as well. So it's quite a new way of looking at it. Um, I'm not aware that many of the brands um, or, or governing bodies do that variable rights program, but it's something that we really want to deliver and push forward to partners to make sure that we are always fit for purpose. Oh, I think you're right. I haven't heard anybody speak in any great uh, planned out detail around flexible rights and, and agreements like you just explained then a lot of people talk around it's important that partnerships are flexible and we're open with each other and we're willing to change but change but I haven't heard anybody discuss it in as much detail as you have just then so I wanted to ask a question because we quite often advocate with people that you know the starting point is to figure out what the what the objectives and the goals and the KPIs of the brand who you want to partner with or potentially partner with are and then just as you explained build a portfolio of benefits that help them achieve that and make that flexible over a period of time i wanted to ask how do brands generally react when you say look the first thing we're going to do is sit down and understand what you want to get out of a potential partnership how do they react when you put that on the table i think it varies really there are some brands we've worked with that are crystal clear they know exactly what they want to achieve um, and it's a pretty pretty easy and seamless process there are some brands um, we have found historically that um, they don't truly, they, they, they either think they know what they want to achieve, or when they get into the detail of it, they're not sure. And there are some brands that just just want to do partnerships, but, but can't actually give us the pinpoint accuracy of what they want to achieve in terms of the KPIs. And we feel that we're able to, we've got a little, we do a little session with partners now where we can actually tease that out with them and help them understand that. And we've done that recently with a, with, a, with a partner that will be announced very soon where we sat within a room together for one morning. Um, we broke it down into the three pillars. They gave us their strategy and we spent half a day working through the different KPIs that could be achieved through this relationship. They took that back into the business to test it. Um, it came back slightly tweaked but differently, but we were at a point then where we had clarity on how we could build the relationship and build the proposal to, to meet those needs. So for the brands that aren't fully tuned into the exact detail we feel that we can help and have helped um those partners in doing that and we're very lucky our chief exec martin phillips who's he was chief exec of b&q um and he also um, ran his own company called leading edge which did a lot of this type of work so he's been involved in in helping us internally to, to really work with partners in, in driving that detail excellent i think the listeners are going to get a lot of value out of your last two answers uh, are there any benefits or inventory that you know could be of great value to helping sponsors but generally they just shy away from um i think there's the, the community side of the game is an interesting one really we've taken the decision in the last year that every single partnership that we do now going forward has to have some community value in it has to have a community asset and has to offer real value to the community game um, not that not that we had many partners that were coming in and just saying they wanted a lead, but what we found was that the community side of the game, we needed partners to really help us to deliver that and to add value to it. And I think sometimes it's the hardest bit 
so collectively for us all to deliver um, because it takes a lot more work, a lot more activation, a lot more money in many areas really to, to get it right. So I think it's a part really, I wouldn't say that partners aren't, aren't doing a lot with us and we've got a lot of great community partners, but it's an area I think we want to really make it easier for our partners to engage with in the community game and something we're working really hard on now to do that. And we've just, Ryan Jones, who's only had a participation, has just actually restructured his team to have somebody in called the Rugby Enterprise Manager, who is really going to look at working alongside the commercial department here and working along my side, my team to really help sponsors activate within the community game and be a dedicated resource and a dedicated contact to really bring partners to understand what we're doing in the community game and where we need help and support as well. In your region, who are you often competing against when you're looking to attract sponsorship on that front? It's it's quite it's quite different. So in there's no I wouldn't say there's no we offer something different to football. You know, the guys at the FAW are doing a fantastic job and we've got fantastic partners. Um and you know, we share a lot of partners. So from a football side there's probably not a competition there and we're actually trying to collaborate and we're looking to do some joint deals at the moment with football. So um that's not really one that I'd say is a, is a competition. Um, but it's what it certainly it is, you know, from a media perspective, because there's you know only so many column inches you can get on on either side. But really, the bigger challenge we have is making sure that brands use us and understand that we're not just a Welsh-based marketing asset. Welsh rugby does break down parochial barriers, and some of the challenges we have when we're, we're talking to UK brands is them using us as a UK marketing platform. And, you know, the value in terms of what we, we charge for sponsorship is a UK value. It's not a Wales value. So we have to really demonstrate to partners that they're not just buying Wales. That's a given. Our reach is actually further than that. And we do break down proprial barriers. And we're very lucky that, you know, the likes of, you know, Warren Gatlin being head coach of the Lions, the players we have, you know, Sam Warburton, you know, Jamie Roberts, they're respected in a a rugby marketplace and from a rugby consumer and they do break down those procure barriers. But that's more of the challenge we have rather than competition is making sure that the brands can really see that we are a UK proposition and not just a Wales proposition. While you might not have, you know, some major really combative is probably too strong a word, uh, competitors in the market you do need to compete with other elements of marketing budgets in brands. Is there a way that you try and differentiate yourself and how do you communicate that? I think the way we, you know, we, we have a very, we're very proud that you know, the values of rugby across the game are very strong and we feel for brands to associate with that is, is huge value in that. Um, you know, values is a huge part of Welsh rugby as well and we always have the, the internal position that, that we must live and and act by our values. And if somebody isn't within the game, we, we need to act on it and to make sure that everybody lives to the values of, of rugby and Welsh rugby. And I do think that that is a huge attraction for brands. Um, so you take you take the position of rugby, the respect and the value that it delivers, um, and you put alongside what I think is quite the, an innovative programme that we're putting in place for partners. And you know the success that we have had in recent years with the team, it's, it's quite a good mix that we can put together. So there's not any one of those areas that we use to really deliver and, and to get into brands, it's really a mix of all three uh, of putting those together. It's quite a compelling p- proposition that we can offer to, to potential partners. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it sounds very, very powerful. Do you think that brands approach sponsorship differently in your region? Um, 
there are some partners that will use Welsh rugby as part of a UK position. So we, we're quite lucky to have um, some partners, you know, a, a Vitality or, or, or Dove, for examples of that, who have taken a UK position where they've partnered with ourselves, Scotland, uh, Ireland and England. So they will, they will obviously do specific Wales campaigns, but they will use us in a wider context of demonstrating their support for the game um, at a UK level. So sometimes those partnerships are activated slightly different, but you know the work and the content that they're generating and some of the digital content that those partners are generating, I'm not sure if you've seen it, is absolutely fantastic. Um, and so that works quite well. Then we have other partners that use us, just, just use Welsh Rugby as a UK marketing proposition. Um, so there is a variance in that, um, on that side about how we're used, but generally it's, you know, it, it's very good for us in terms of having partners to use us in both ways. Do you rely heavily on your networks to help identify and, and start discussions with potential partners? Yeah, I think there's a mix really. We're, um, we, we do work with a couple of agencies, obviously not having a, a base within London. Uh, and most of our, you know, quite a few of our partners and brands are based in London that we need to be speaking to. So we do, do quite a bit of work with Essentially and Pitch, um, with those guys helping us to, to talk to different brands. Um, we're also very lucky that in terms of the network of rugby, we have um, our chairman, Gareth Davis, and, and Martin Phillips, the chief exec, are obviously um, you know, across a lot of the, the big partners that are out there. Uh, but we're also trying to look at, you know, always look at trying to introduce new brands into rugby as well. And I think you know, very recently there's been quite a few, few new brands that historically haven't sponsored rugby starting to come into it. And I think that's an area that, that we're looking to focus on. We've just for the first time employed somebody to do that for us who's going to... Who, prospects five or ten different brands within a sector, just say it's telecoms, for example, and they will actively go out and engage with those brands um, and try to really bring them in by sector um, and to look at the suitability of a partner aligned with our strategy and our mission and, and our beliefs as well. So we're always looking for new brands to come in and there's a mixture of using our network or contacts or agencies or cold calling and going directly to brands by either sending them you know, an innovative pack or a, or a video or a jersey and there's different elements we try to get into brands. You've mentioned a couple of times that your senior exec are very engaged in, in, in the partnership program. Does your board play much of an active role in helping attract sponsors? Uh, the board doesn't. The executive board, the main board doesn't. The executive board does. Um, they, they see the value hugely in, in our partnerships program. Um, you know, Ryan obviously you know, has come from playing, and now his head of head of the participation side of the game has been actively involved in in coming to, to pitches with us and, and talking to partners about what he can help and deliver in the community game. Um, you have Gary and John, who's head of Elite Rugby, very similar. He's also you know very supportive in terms of making sure that partners get the value that they need to uh, and understanding our strategies. And then obviously we work very closely with uh, Martin Phillips, chief exec, who. It really has ambition to really drive forward the partnerships program and to develop real you know, mutual beneficial relationships with partners across the game. You mentioned earlier in one of your answers that you um, engage a couple of different agencies and some people to go out and do research. Do you, once a partner is identified and the conversation starts, do you ultimately sell the sponsorship directly yourself as Welsh Rugby or do you use an agency to do that on your behalf? It, it will depend, really. So um, with the agencies, we're normally briefing in a specific project. So 
um, we're working at the moment. We, we are at the moment looking for um, potential partners for the jersey. So we're in discussions with Admiral, but we're also looking in the market. So Pitch International at the moment are about looking at different partners and they're going direct and bringing us in once they feel that the conversation is at a point where it's worth bringing us in. But then there are other relationships that we do go direct um, and we will take the direct approach and, and we'll manage the, the sale and, and contracting ourselves. So it does really vary on, on the asset, uh, what we're trying to sell um, and the brand that we're going to. If you are heading to that first meeting yourself as Welsh Rugby, you yourself, how do you prepare? What sort of things are you looking at to make sure that when you walk in the room, you put your best foot forward? So we do, we have a, a company brief that's pulled together ahead of every every meeting. So Jack within the team will do that. He'll spend an inordinate amount of time really looking at you know the, the brand's previous sponsorships, looking at their current strategies, um, mainly desktop research, um, but really trying to pull together a picture of what some of the the priorities, the challenges and the strategies are for that brand. So we're, we're pretty educated going into it. This is this has worked at varying levels. We do try to, for the first meeting, have a have a go at creating a potential package that we we think could align to potential strategies. We know that sometimes we could get that completely wrong, and we have once or twice. <laughs> um, but other times we have got it right as well, uh, and it's worked it's worked very well. But I think for us, as I mentioned before, the key part is understanding it's not just buying the country in Wales buying a UK marketing asset within Welsh Rugby. So we always feel that going into that first meeting, we need to make sure that we deliver that point and deliver the possibilities of a relationship with us pretty quickly up front. So we do take the risky approach of of assuming that we know some of the strategies and KPIs before we've met. And it normally means it, it opens the conversation up that we can refine those KPIs um, and those strategies that the brand's looking to achieve and go back with a revised proposal. But it's it's something that we, we, we're we getting better at. We've learned now with the ones we've got wrong, we've learned where we've gone wrong, and each one we do now going forward, we get slightly better at anyway. Once a potential, well, once a partner comes on board, is there anything over and above those quarterly meetings that you spoke about earlier that you really focus on to ensure that you maintain the relationship? I think it's... Um, it's it's not rocket science. It is it is as we talked about before. Really, it's just having a very open, transparent, and clear relationship. So we have three account managers um, that work in the partnerships team, which is headed up by um, by Lee Bailey, and each partner will have a dedicated account manager. Um, we're very lucky the account managers that, that we have, you know, have been doing it for a long time, and they're absolutely fantastic, and they develop great relationships for the brands. And we always try to say to them that, you know, think think of yourself like you are actually part of the brand, representing the brand internally here, um, because they've got to make sure that they do everything they can to deliver those rights, you know, and, and have those difficult conversations internally for partners sometimes as well. So it's really just making sure that there is this clear, transparent communication and clear and transparent KPIs and what's trying to be achieved uh, and making sure that partners know exactly what is possible and not. Uh, and then just building up, you know, a very good opportunity to spend time and, and get to know the partners more. So I wouldn't say there's anything that we do is is very unique or different to lots of other people, but we do pride ourselves on making sure that the account team really do look after the needs of partners. It sounds as though you have your house in order in terms of uh, 
identifying objectives and KPIs that you can help a brand and a potential sponsor achieve. But on the other side of the table, for Welsh Rugby, how do you measure whether a partnership with a brand has been successful? Um, it's a good, I think, you know, I'll answer it in two parts. I think we, we, we're getting there. There are always areas that we need to improve and there are always things that we, we want to do better. Um, but I think we're getting there and we have a clear vision and direction as to how we can really differentiate ourselves in the market for partners and, uh, you know, and, and that's progressing and we'll keep progressing. For us, um, it, it really boils down to making sure that the partner is, A, first and foremost, we're delivering for the partner and effectively, they are buying the assets to deliver for their business. So, as long as as long as the, the none of the work that they're doing is contradicting the strategy or or the brand for Welsh Rugby, the real focus and the sign of successful partnership for us is really measured by a partner giving us good feedback, us achieving their KPIs and renewals, and that really is our priority. It is changing slightly with, as I mentioned, around the community game element that we're trying to ask all partners to engage with because that then truly does align to the strategy that Ryan's putting in place across the community game and delivers along the participation side of the game. But that also gives a good hook for partners to use as a CSR message to show they truly are making a difference to participation of the game in Wales. But it really does come down to making sure, you know, success of a partnership for us is making sure that we've delivered against our partners' KPIs first and foremost. Craig, fantastic chat and some some awesome insights. If people want to get in contact and learn more about Welsh Rugby Union, what can they do? Yeah, they can drop us a line or drop me a line at um, Wales. I'm happy to catch up with anybody and talk around some of the stuff we're doing and anyone wants to come down and meet the team, we'd be delighted to, for them to come down as well. Craig Maxwell, I know how busy you are with a, a test match with Argentina coming up in a couple of days, so thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at Welsh Rugby Union. Thank you very much. Sophie is a chartered marketeer with 15 years strategic marketing experience, most recently as a director of marketing in financial services where she led sponsorship of the Barbarians rugby team for four years. Sophie has held marketing and sponsorship advisory roles at club and country levels of the game and she sat on the WRC 2015 Legacy Committees and currently sits on the RFU's Rugby Growth Committee. Sophie is a board director of the European Sponsorship Association where she leads the working group that is producing the Industry Best Practice Guide to Sponsorship Measurement and Sophie is also a judge of the UK Sponsorship Awards. Here's Sophie. Sophie Morris from Mill Harbour Marketing, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You've had a long involvement in rugby, so it'd be great, in your own words, to get a rundown of your involvement, including what work you do in and around both sponsorship and rugby at the moment. Sure. Well, yes, in rugby, it started when I was director of marketing for a financial services firm in London, and I led the sponsorship of the Barbarians rugby team. Um, which basically got me to to fall in love with the sport, having been just a casual supporter since then. Um, Being in a fairly comfortable job at the time, I wanted to give something back to the community and so started volunteering at my local rugby club, helping them with marketing and sponsorship. As a result of the success that I had with that club, I was asked to join the county management committee to help them do the same thing for about 50 different clubs and then to represent that county on the Rugby World Cup 2015 legacy groups, uh, where I led a working group to help return 16 to 24-year-olds to the game. That involved working with the heads of UK Sport at both Twitter and Facebook to produce a social media toolkit for use by rugby clubs, which is now used nationwide by the RFU. 
I also sit on the RFU's Rugby Growth Committee and started playing, albeit briefly, at somewhere along that timeline too. So that's the, the rugby side, but I've also worked in marketing for 15 years, have been a chartered marketeer since 2007, and I've experienced both sides working for both brand and sponsor and bringing more strategic approach to their marketing and sponsorship. So that's a really wide and varied uh, description of experience on both sides of the of the fence and right from grassroots right up to to international so I think this you're well placed to enter my next question and that is that if a rights holder came to you and wanted help entering the sponsorship market what are you generally looking to ensure that they have in place so that you can set them up for success before they enter the market Sure, there's definitely three things that I'd want to know, and that would be around audience, brand and assets. So they, they need to know their audience and not just broad demographics, but behavioural profiling as well. So not just the ticket purchasers, because as we know in, in a lot of sport, uh, one person can be buying tickets for four people or 30 people or 200 if it's a club buying them. But we also need database lists and social media fans. So the CRM, the Customer Relationship Management Tool, and most importantly, how that is used and what insight it can give is really critical. And that is the most valuable tool that, that we believe a rights holder has. It's not only valuable as an asset for, for sponsors, but also as a means of finding sponsors. So being able to prove that the audience that they are trying to target fits with the fan base that the rights holder has now and also is, is targeting in the future. Around brand, they need to know their brand values and what they stand for and need to be able to explain that succinctly. So brands are going to be looking to partner with a rights holder that they can align their own brand with. And so to be very clear on what that is, is important. Part of those brand values should be to take a collaborative and partnership based approach, genuinely wanting to build something new rather than just dealing out the same old cash for logo sponsorship and just putting a, a new name on it. And thirdly, that point around assets, they need to understand the assets they have and how a sponsor might want to use them. And this often takes a fresh pair of eyes to come in and look with a fan's view, not the, the rights holder's view. So something that is very everyday business and commonplace for a rights holder could be really interesting and exciting for fans and therefore very valuable for a rights holder. Um, so being flexible with, with that approach and also being flexible about building something new is important. If you think about the amount of technology that's available to us now, we can actually create new assets and allow sponsors to own those assets so that they're adding value to the fans' experience too. You mentioned the word excitement. I'm guessing that if a rights holder uh, engaged a consultant, a sponsorship consultant like yourself, there's going to be a level of, of excitement. They might think about, uh, and I use this term, this term loosely, the, the riches that might start flowing into the organisation. But how would you or how do you as a sponsorship consultant help to just temper or manage the expectations of a rights holder in terms of what they can reasonably expect from a sponsorship program? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And we have had rights holders uh, come talk to us and that the first question is how big a sponsor can you can you get us and for us it's kind of the the, the wrong approach really so the role of a consultancy such as mine is to help them realize the value that they have now and how they can create additional value um, rights holders who don't have a strategic approach to sponsorship tend to just sell assets for the highest price and expect really large global firms to be interested just because they sponsor other rugby properties 
So they have a, a transactional approach rather than a relationship approach. So we help them to build a more advanced strategy that will help see the benefit in targeting appropriate sponsors in terms of size and investment and who can help the property to grow and take a longer term partnership approach with that. We identify what will help them to achieve their objectives and it might actually not be financial at all. It might be about facilities or communications or performance measurement tools. So going back to understanding their objectives, if they have a real problem um, providing connectivity in their stadium, it could be the, that a sponsor that can provide that for them rather than just handing over a check is much more beneficial. So we help rights holders to realise also that they aren't being compared to other clubs in their own league or teams in their own city or for rugby union bodies, other international sports teams. They're competing with every other element of the promotional mix. So you need to think about what else a brand could do with the money that they'd spend sponsoring you and to prove to them why you'd bring a better return. It's really going back to kind of marketing basics of what environment you're operating in, what your customer needs are, and in this case, your customer is a sponsor, and what your competition is offering and how you can build a position of sustainable competitive advantage rather than just searching for the, the biggest check. Once you've got that in place and, and you've you've done some education with the rights holder and, and they're on board with your approach. How do you actually set about yourself as the consultant? How do you set about identifying the right brands for the rights holder and then actually bringing those brands to the table to start the conversation? We take rights holders through our, our audience brand and assets matching process in, in its most simple form. So identifying the audience, being clear on brand values and strategy and creating a strong asset base. We then assess which industries, sectors, and then filtering down to individual companies are looking to target those customers, which are a close fit to the brand values and strategy, and uh, whose marketing objectives could be realised through utilising the assets that the rights holder can share with them. So we help them also to identify the likely strategy of, of each potential sponsor and plan how we think both parties could help each other to achieve their own objectives and, and aid that discussion process. But importantly, we enable the rights holder rather than act on their behalf, as we believe it's better to give them the tools to be able to do this themselves rather than make them dependent on someone else for such a critical revenue stream. We think that they, they really should be owning those relationships themselves. Is there any preparation that they can do then in order to start to create a meaningful offering for sponsors and really spark an interest with the sponsor or, or the brand, the potential brand? Yep. Um, and it, it goes back to that point really about um, looking at the looking at potential partner's strategy. Uh, it's, un, it's unlikely you'll be able to find out their exact marketing strategy before your first communication, but you can take an educated guess from the communications you can see and what level and type of marketing they do. Uh, this will help you to present some options of partnership benefits that will help them to achieve what you think their strategy is. And if you haven't got it exactly right, that's okay. They will correct you. But the fact that you made the effort to formulate a bespoke plan for them will reassure the sponsor that you're acting in their best interests and not just shoving a gold, silver or bronze preset package at them. Is there anything over and above that just making an effort and showing the brand that you actually care and want to take the time to educate yourself and, and create something bespoke. Is there anything else that a rights holder can do early on to create engagement with a potential brand so as to ensure that they, they set that, that foundation and get the, the relationship off on the right foot? Sure. I think being open and transparent is a, is a very good start. Uh, and back to the 
we should be trying to build relationships rather than sell. If you go in with a sell mentality, then then immediately the the, the sponsor is is buying or being persuaded to buy, and it, it creates a difficult position. So we would say being open and transparent, being upfront about all the benefits agreed and, and when they will be delivered. And, uh, you know, once that relationship is started and you sign your sponsor, we think the, the most important thing from the outset of the relationship is to deliver straight away. It's very easy to sit back and celebrate when you've signed a new sponsorship agreement. It's a difficult thing. It takes a long time. So it's really easy just to kind of sit and pat yourself on the back and say, well done. But you have to remember that the sponsor is in the post-purchase analysis phase of the buying decision process. So going quiet on them for just a couple of days it is not a good start. They're wanting some immediate feedback on whether this was a good decision or not. So if you have some kind of sponsorship management tool, it's a really good idea to get them to use that too. So they have a full picture of what's being delivered at any moment. If you don't have a dedicated system for this, then you should issue regular reports to them. But it's worth thinking of it like getting your bank statement. Ideally, you'd be able to log in at any time and see what you've spent, what you've got left to help. Uh, you plan how to spend it. Waiting for a monthly statement to come through makes that planning harder than it should be. And we're in an on-demand society and marketeers need that same flexibility. I'd also say that help with the activation would also benefit the relationship. Even those sponsors who are very experienced in, in sponsorship will want to know what works for your particular audience. And you also need to make sure that the sponsor activates in a way that adds value to your fans. Around that reporting should be a planning conversation. What's working? What's not? What can we work together to improve? Do they need help measuring the impact of the sponsorship? Regular conversations help you to build that relationship and, and ensure that you understand what activities are in their pipeline and, and how you might be able to help. Because we, we still hear of too many sponsorships that, that wait until the end of the term only to find out that the sponsor felt they had the wrong assets from the start, they therefore didn't see much of a return, and, and they just won't renew when a simple conversation at the start to understand their objectives and offer the most effective rights to them and to help them achieve that could have made the sponsorship successful. And, and again, that's the difference between having a sales or transaction-led team and a relationship-led team. Fantastic answer and way more than I was actually looking for. So I wonder if there's anything that – because my next question was going to be around what are some – once a relationship starts, are there some any other key things that a rights holder and a brand can do together, remembering for the listeners that it's about a partnership. So once that partnership kicks off, to ensure that it has ongoing and evolving success, is there anything else that they should be concentrating on? Yeah, I think communication uh, is, is really key. Um, most problems in the world are created and most problems are solved through communication. So the brand needs to be really open about their strategy and objectives and plans, but equally the rights holder does as well. You, you both need to be comfortable with opening up a bit to, to identify opportunities that perhaps weren't a discussion around the, when you were laying out the, the, the terms of the partnership. So just really being honest and open um, and having a genuine interest in the success of the other party. So the, the sponsor should equally be wanting the rights holders fan base to grow because then that gives it a larger audience to, to expose its brand to. So it goes back to the point about being genuine with a partnership approach. Um, and rights holders need to have a specific strategic relationship manager in place. And, and so smaller rights holders you can understand that the commercial side may be mainly around sales, and so they do a great job of selling and converting that renewal process, or they might outsource it to, to an agency. But uh, if they don't have the capability in-house for 
for managing, activating and measuring, they, they can outsource those things, but we believe they should retain the overall relationship and that understanding of objectives should, should be held between the rights holder and the brand. You mentioned success in, in that answer and, and measurement as well. I know it's a bit of a generalist question because I'm guessing that your answer is probably going to be around, well, it should be aligned to objectives and, and goals. But are there some general key metrics of success that you know that a brand consistently looks for? And how can and should they be measured by maybe both the rights holder and the brand? Well, you're right, and it's a big question, and it's something that I'm working on answering at the moment. Uh, in my role as board director of the European Sponsorship Association, I've started a working group to build the industry best practice guide to sponsorship measurement. Uh, but in the meantime, whilst we're writing that, uh, of course, it depends on on the brand's objectives, as you say, and, and they'll differ from brand to brand. Brand to brand, um, it could be to gain exposure in a new market. It could be to drive recruitment, to increase staff morale and loyalty to change brand perception, increase brand understanding, increase propensity to purchase, and of course, to, to increase sales. Now, all of these can be measured. In some instances, it's difficult to attribute 100% of the result to sponsorship, particularly if it's integrated across many different channels. But the most important thing for us is to take a snapshot of current performance before the sponsorship is even announced. Brands can look at their current marketing measurement framework, so things like sales levels, website stats, brand awareness, understanding and propensity figures, employee satisfaction ratings, the number and quality of applicants for job vacancies and so on. But whatever the objectives are, you, you need to understand how you're going to measure that and make sure you do so before the sponsorship is announced and then monitor regularly to see where you might need to adjust your, your activations and messaging. And similarly, rights holders can measure how engaged the fans are and how they react to, to other sponsor activations and how that changes once the, sponsor, the new sponsor has, has come on board. And to your point on working together, they absolutely should work together. We, we've heard of, of many cases where neither side has the, a full view of what happened because they're not willing to share data or they just haven't considered sharing data. So the sponsor will obviously have their sales data and their brand measurement data, but the rights holder will know how well the fan base is engaging through their own channels. So it's important that that regular communication and regular reporting happens. And, and most importantly, once the measurement is reviewed, both parties should be flexible with changing the benefits to improve any underperforming areas. But the critical factor for us is to plan, implement and measure with the same scrutiny that you would any other element of the, of the promotional mix. Sophie Morris, fantastic and massively insightful chat. If the if the listeners would like to get in touch and find out more about yourself and Mill Harbour Marketing, what can they do? Uh, well, they can email me at sophie at millharbourmarketing.com. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as Sophie LJ Morris, and they can visit millharbourmarketing.com to, to find out more about what we do. Sophie Morris, thank you very much for taking us inside the work a sponsorship consultant does to help bring rights holders and brands together for sponsorship success. Thank you. A couple of fantastic chats there. So once again, I trust that you found the discussions with our guests very useful. If you'd like to get in contact with either Craig or Sophie, simply head along to sponsor.net where I've included links to their LinkedIn profiles and businesses. If you'd like to listen to other special rugby sponsorship-focused podcasts or any other inside sponsorship episodes, simply head along to sponsor.net or search iTunes or Stitcher for inside sponsorship. I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Inside Sponsorship.
to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.